Lord, your grace and your mercy is just so overwhelming when we sit and contemplate it. Your sacrifice, your love. And so, Lord, we thank you, and we're gathered here tonight to just worship you and to give you praise, to remember what you have done for us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thanks for joining us for Good Friday service to remember the death of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Kids, thanks for joining us too. (laughs) Glad you guys are in here with us. Um, If your kids are getting a little wiggly, I get it. Um, There's a wiggle room out there, the room all the way down the hall on the right. Uh, We have the live stream going on in there so you can see and still participate in what's going on in the service from there. Uh, If you need to head out, feel free to do so. Um, Secondly, the stage is a little different. We set the stage a little different tonight. Um, We put the communion elements right up front and we put them right under the cross. So the idea is to keep the cross front and center tonight. To I'm going to ask you later to write down on one of the notepads some sins that have plagued you, some, some of your biggest things that have caused you shame and guilt in your life. I'm going to ask you to write those down. And up here we have a jar. I'm going to ask you to write them down, fold them up, and drop those in the jar and then take the communion elements just as an active symbol, as a reminder that you're leaving your sins at the foot of the cross and the blood and body of Christ makes you holy and washes you clean that you take. So I want to begin tonight by simply reading the crucifixion account from Mark's gospel. I'm going to read Mark 15 starting here in verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled, hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Some ran, filled the sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. So Lord, I pray that you would just open your word to us. Thank you again, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, as we envision this scene, this setting, your suffering, the sacrifice that you made for us. Again, Lord, we are just blown away by your grace, your love, and your mercy for us. That you would love us enough, that you would prove your love for us by dying on the cross in our place. So, Lord, again, we pray that you would just open your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In keeping with our a la carte Christianity campaign, one of the first verses that I read the first week and one of our key verses that we've been kind of resting in is Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. So tonight of all nights, as we reflect on the death of Jesus, my prayer for us is that that phrase would just stick in our minds and in our hearts as we reflect on it. I have been crucified with Christ. So as we read the story of Jesus' crucifixion, we're not just seeing Jesus on the cross, we're seeing our old selves on the cross as well. That we have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Tonight we'll talk about the first part of that sentence. And on Sunday we'll talk about the second part. We can't have one without the other. In our a la carte Christianity approach, there are some traditions who want to only take the resurrection life of Christ without death to self. There are other traditions who want to take the death to self and kind of forget about the resurrection life in Christ. They live a life of pure asceticism and strict discipline. So we have to take both. And this weekend, we see both. But for tonight, we're going to focus on the first phrase, I have been crucified with Christ. And we think about that, that's kind of a lofty, difficult to put our minds around and to grasp idea of us being crucified with Christ, of our old self being done away with and crucified with Christ. The beauty of the Gospels is that we see in how they wrote the Gospels and the events that took place, we see pictures, we see, we see stories of what it looks like for us to be crucified with Christ, to lose our life that we might find it as Jesus has taught elsewhere. We see this even in the crucifixion account that we just read in a number of stories. First one is Simon of Cyrene. We read the first week of this campaign, Jesus calls all of his disciples to pick up their cross daily and follow him. Simon did so literally, right? He helped Jesus bear the cross. Because Jesus was so badly beaten that he couldn't carry it on his own. And so he's forced to carry the cross. Now if you noticed in, in Mark's account of this gospel and, the ha and what he says here, he mentions that Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus. Okay, we, we read that, we just skim past it, we're like, I don't know what he's talking about. 
Mark was most likely writing this to the church in Rome. And what that means is the church in Rome doesn't necessarily know Simon, but they know Alexander and Rufus. So he's making the connection for them. So what that means is, most likely, and if we take that Mark is writing to the church in Rome, Paul, at the end of the book of Romans, he mentions that he's writing to a Rufus and his mother. <laughs> so if these are one and the same people, which is possible, we don't know for sure, then it's likely that Simon became a Christian and his whole family became Christians. It's also noted in the book of Acts that at Pentecost there was a number of people there from Cyrene. So Simon likely stayed after Passover, stayed through to Pentecost and experienced the events of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. And then he went back home. <laughs> he likely shared the gospel there in Cyrene and shared the gospel with his family and his whole family became believers. And so the church in Rome, who Mark is writing to, he mentions Alexander and Rufus to indicate that Simon was their dad. And so they have that connection now. Simon was in Jerusalem for this event. He was there for the Passover, which also means that he was a devout Jew who traveled from northern Africa, which is where Cyrene was, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover there with the Jewish people. So Simon had a total identity shift then, if that's the case. Which again, none of that is fully certain, but it's likely. Simon shifted his, his entire identity from being a devout, devout Jew to now a Jesus follower who took the gospel with him back to Cyrene and then his kids had traveled to Rome and somehow settled in Rome and took the gospel to Rome where they went. They were part of this early church movement. He had a whole identity shift. Simon had totally died to himself. He risked, even carrying the cross, he risked himself being identified as the one who was convicted and the criminal. But he carried the cross. And he shared the gospel with his family and his people. The next one is the Roman centurion. This one's fascinating. Mark, again, he's writing to Rome. The church in Rome, most likely. The Roman centurion, Mark says, he stands looking face to face at the front of the cross, looking at Jesus. And when he sees the way he dies, he declares that surely this man was the son of God. In Mark's gospel, this Roman centurion is the first one to make this declaration. The first human, I should say, to make this declaration. Mark, as the narrator, says it. God the Father declares it over Jesus at his baptism. Demons confess it and say that they know Jesus to be the Son of God. In Mark chapter 8, Peter, when he makes his declaration, he just says Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't say Jesus is the Son of God. Mark leads us on all the way through his gospel to the end where this Roman centurion, this man who was in charge of executing Jesus and putting him to death is the one who makes this declaration that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. It's astounding on a number of levels, but not least of which is the fact that the Romans 
were the occupying force in Jerusalem of the day. This man was a symbol of the Roman occupation that the Jews hated. And the Messiah, the Jews thought, would be the one to come in and overthrow the Romans. They thought that the, the Messiah would be their conquering king, their hero who would raise an army and liberate the people of Israel so that they could once again be an independent nation. They thought the Messiah would do this through military force and might. Something That's what Judas was trying to spur on when he betrayed Jesus. Was now Jesus will have to act if I betray him, and then we'll start the revolution. But no, Jesus was a different kind of Messiah. Instead of raising an army and bringing more death and destruction, Jesus, in the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen, literally, don't say that hyperbolically, literally, Jesus lays down his life. And even while he's hanging on the cross at the hands of this man, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus wasn't the Messiah they expected. And instead of coming to bring more death and destruction, in love he dies. To usher in a new way of living, to prove once and for all that this is the best way to live. It's not to get revenge. It's not to get even. It's to forgive and lay down our lives for others. This declaration for the Roman centurion, it would have been a flashpoint for him. At least we can say, we don't know much about what happened to him after this, but at least we can say this was a crisis moment for him. Because you don't just say that, right? And things don't change. Or at least you have to think about some things a little bit differently, right? The Son of God was a title reserved for Caesar. The centurion's whole life was kind of surrounded and rooted, centered, by Caesar. Ultimately, he was under the authority of Caesar for his career, for his job, his occupation, his well-being. His national loyalty was to Rome and ultimately to Caesar. So if Jesus is the Son of God, as he says here, as he makes this declaration, I doubt that he had time to unpack it <laughs> in the moment. But later, I'm sure he thought through this. That changed some things for him. If Jesus truly was the Son of God, if he was the Son of God of a higher character quality, we don't know what he was thinking, right? Then Caesar, or even if he was competing with Caesar, he's got some things to untangle, doesn't he? If Jesus is the Son of God, his loyalty to the kingdom of God supersedes his loyalty to Rome. We don't know how he untangled those, but at least we can say this was a crisis moment for this man. Would he surrender his life to Jesus as Lord, as the Son of God, higher than Caesar, the kingdom of God, higher than Rome? Or would he not? Next is Mary Magdalene. We're going to talk about Mary more on Sunday. What we know about Mary Magdalene, uh, well, in this account, she was there <laughs> with a number of other women 
who had followed Jesus from Galilee and helped to meet his needs and to help him in his ministry throughout the years of ministry. We know that Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. She's from a city in Galilee, Mandela. And we know that she left everything to follow Jesus. She's been connected with the woman in Bethany who anoints Jesus before he comes into Jerusalem to go and goes to the cross. But we're not certain about that. That's unsure. It may have been her. It may not have been her. It may have been a different Mary. Mary was obviously a very common name of the day. But because of that, you may be, you may be connecting this, so I want to explain it. Uh, Luke's gospel says that this woman lived a sinful lifestyle, the one who anointed Jesus at Bethany. And so many have thought that to mean that she had lived a promiscuous lifestyle beforehand, and they've connected this with Mary. We're not sure about that. It could be. It might not be. The Pope, and uh, I'm blanking on his name, 591. It's in the devotional. He just kind of made that declaration and said that these two Marys are one and the same. So that's why we may be thinking along those lines. But we don't know that for sure about Mary. What we do know is that she left everything <laughs> to follow Jesus. She left her home, her location, she left all of the people that she knew to follow Jesus. And the other women who followed Jesus as well to help him in his ministry, they left their responsibilities of home life behind to go follow Jesus, which in the first century was quite difficult. It's difficult now. Don't hear me say it's not difficult now. It's difficult now, but it was incredibly difficult back then when it would take hours to make a meal, a simple meal. And so she left everything to come follow Jesus. So again, looking at what does it look like to die to ourselves? What does it look like to be crucified with Christ? We see this in the characters of the gospel. Then next, I just want to get us thinking along these lines for Sunday. But Simon Peter as well. Last we heard from Simon in the gospel narrative, he wasn't mentioned in our text for today, but last we heard of him, he had betrayed Jesus three times. And so as Jesus is being crucified, and then all day, the next day, before the resurrection accounts, can you imagine the shame and the guilt that Simon must have been wrestling with? Jesus warned him beforehand, and he still messed up. He still said he didn't know Jesus. So Simon Peter, the night that Jesus is crucified, and all the next day, is just sitting in shame and guilt for his failure. So before we come into communion, just think of the spheres of life that we see in these characters. The spheres that people have died to in order to follow Jesus. Again, what does it look like to be crucified with Christ? We see Simon, Simon of Cyrene, giving up his religious tradition, his whole religious background. Remember, this guy made the costly trip from northern Africa to Jerusalem to be there for the Passover. And it's likely that he became a Christian that day. And gave up everything to follow Jesus. And his kids may have even moved to Rome to take the gospel to Rome. The Roman centurion, 
he laid down his, he, he at least had a flashpoint where he had to consider his career. If Jesus is truly the son of God above Caesar, that has implications for how he does his job, right? As a Roman centurion. It had implications for his career and his workplace. It had implications for his view of the kingdom of God and his loyalties to the nation of Rome. That had huge implications for him. If indeed Jesus was the son of God, that would change dramatically. He would first and foremost be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then secondly, a citizen of the kingdom of Rome. And then the women, Mary Magdalene and the other women who were there, they left everything. They left their family. They left their responsibilities, their home life, everything to come and to be with Jesus and to follow him. Peter, being crucified with Christ meant that he left his sin, his shame, his guilt at the feet of the cross. He denied Jesus three times. And we'll see on Sunday how he still runs to Jesus to find him. How he still jumps out of the boat to swim to Jesus, to be with him. So in his greatest guilt and shame, he doesn't run from Jesus, he runs to Jesus. And in doing so, he finds forgiveness. So we're going to go to communion now. But before we do, I want to take a few minutes and invite you to just sit at your seats. There are notepads in the chair, the back of the chairs in front of you and pens in the back of the chairs in front of you. We saw in these stories those who had been crucified with Christ and what it meant for them to give up their former life for Jesus. So I want you to just take a few moments and write down on that piece of paper some of the things that you are struggling to give up for Jesus. I want you to write down some of the biggest causes of your guilt, your shame. Perhaps it's a general sin, something like pride, apathy, lust, greed. Maybe it's an individual sin, an individual moment that you constantly replay in your head that just produces shame and guilt and regret in you. And you just can't seem to shake it. That one time that you really lost it and you ended up hurting the ones you love the most. The time you offended somebody you love deeply. The time you betrayed somebody's trust. Whatever comes to mind, I want you to write those down.
So now I want you to rip that piece of paper off the notepad. <laughs> Should fold it up. Don't worry, nobody's going to be looking at it anyways. <laughs> fold it up. I'm going to spread the communion elements up here out on the table. And when you come up to take communion, I want you to drop that in the jar behind here. Again, don't worry. Those are going right in the trash. Nobody's looking at them. I wanted to do that thing where you're like right on the, on the like light flimsy paper and you light it on fire and throw it up. Those are super cool. But you can't trust the weather here, so... <laughs> We've had bad experiences doing things outside. <laughs> so just crumple that piece of paper up, fold it up. I want you to drop it in this blue bin when you come up here. And I want you to take the communion elements back to your, ta back to your seat. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. That we are exchanging our sin for Christ's righteousness. And the means is the cross that we can do so. The means is when our faith and trust is in Jesus and in his atoning work on the cross. That he takes our sin upon himself and in exchange he gives us his righteousness. And so those of you who are just wrestling with these sins that have plagued you, with these spheres of life that you're struggling so hard to surrender to the lordship of Jesus in your life, my prayer is this would just be a moment where you can definitively declare that Jesus has taken them upon himself for me so that I can be free. I can walk in the freedom and the newness of life that Christ has given me. You don't have to be entangled, as the author of Hebrews says, by those sins anymore. You don't have to be weighed down by the guilt and the shame of the things that you have done, of your former life, your former self, because you have died. You have died to those. And those who have died, sin no longer holds them in bondage. Sin no longer has control over them. Because you have died with Christ. You have been crucified with him. The front rows, I invite you to come into the middle. When the row in front of you finishes, just follow them up. Come up to the steps on the right side, grab the communion elements, and then head back to your seat. When peace like a river ascendeth my way When With my soul With my 
Jesus, tonight we remember your body that was broken for us. Lord, we remember the agony that you endured on our behalf. We remember, Lord, the whips with bones, the crown of thorns shoved upon your head, the grueling walk to Golgotha. bearing the cross, bearing your own instrument of death. Remember the nails driven through your hands and through your feet. Remember the hours of agony as you hung on the cross, struggling for each and every breath. And Lord, we know that you love us. Lord, we trust in nothing else for our salvation. But in the fact that you have borne our sin in your flesh on the cross, we remember and we thank you as we partake together. Let's partake of the bread. And would you pray with me for the cup? Lord Jesus, you are our Passover lamb. Just as the Israelites put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their house in the Exodus, and so the angel of death passed over them. 
Jesus, it is trust, it is faith in your blood shed for us that we walk free, that death, the punishment of our sin, no longer holds power over us. And so, Lord, we can live a life without fear. We can live a life without fear of the worst possible outcome. A life without fear of death. Knowing that your blood has been shed for us. Knowing that we will one day dwell in your presence forever. That our righteousness, our holiness is not in ourselves. So we don't carry that burden anymore. Our righteousness is in your blood. Our holiness in your blood that was shed for us. You have washed us. You have sanctified us. And so, Jesus, we thank you. And we remember as we partake together. Let's partake of the cup together. We're going to sing a little bit more in praise to our Savior together. So would you guys stand? And guys, can we sing the last, the last verse that we sang? I think it's the third verse of the song. Can we sing that together again for this great hymn, It Is Well, With My Soul? My sin, all the bliss of this glory.
decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No And oh, 
God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. We remember the way you suffered and you died. You suffered and died to bear the weight that we could not and we cannot bear. We thank you, Lord. We remember Would you help us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice because of what you've done for us because of the way that you took our sins away the way that you gave us a way to be in your presence we thank you Lord we praise you Jesus in your name we pray so much for being here. We hope to see you back here on Sunday morning.